Give it up. Yes. Whoa. 15 years. I'm so glad that you're here today. 15 years ago, I was like thinking, is anybody going to show up? I still sometimes think that. Is anybody going to show up today? Anybody going to be here? I'm so glad that you are here today and you're celebrating this moment with us. And so, sometimes people ask, they ask the question about, um, you know, who were the first three in our meeting in our house? We had our first meeting in the house with three people. Who were those three people? Two of them uh, live out of state, and they are um, Max and Cindy. Uh, and then the third person actually made it back today, and Terry is here somewhere. Terry, could you stand for us? Come on. We got to give it up for Terry. Terry, back here. Come on, let's give it up. So glad that you came. Terry was my neighbor, and I heard a knock at the door, and I was actually shocked. I thought he was just coming. Sometimes we were one of these neighbors that we would like, if you need some sugar or you need some flour, you go over and ask. I thought he was coming over to ask for something. And he was like, hey, I'm ready for church. He had his Bible in his hand. And I was like, yeah, come on in. And so that was our church service, the very first time. So glad that you are here today. I was thinking about this in regards to what to talk about on our 15th birthday. What should I share? What came back to me was the message, the first message I preached when we met in the school 15 years ago. Okay? This is not in the home. This is a few weeks later. We met in the school and I preached a message called Difference Makers. And I kind of felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to give that exact same message. So I'm thinking, can I find my notes? And I went back and found the notes, okay, pulled those notes out, and I'm actually going to read the same text that I read that first day, and I'm going to give you the same four points that I gave that first day in the school on difference makers. Because here's the thing. Shannon and I, early on, our passion and desire is that North Church be difference makers. That we would not just be a church that is another church on the corner, but is making a difference in our community. We wanted to see people, because here's the thing. If North Church is going to be difference makers, that means that our people are difference makers. So we wanted to see those who are single at North Church being difference makers, with your roommates, on the college campus, on your high school campus, maybe as a middle schooler, whether it's an activity you're a part of, whether it's a hobby you're doing, whether it's a classroom, that you are a difference maker for the kingdom of God. We wanted couples to be difference makers. In a world that needs to see an example of kindness and love and mercy. And there is no more greater challenge than in marriage to love your neighbor as yourself. Where marriages fall apart, we wanted to see couples that exemplified the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Who were difference makers, raising kids in the fear of God. That are difference makers, that are changing family tree and history through that marriage that's committed to each other, but even greater than that, committed to Jesus Christ, to see people who work in the 
marketplace that are difference makers, who own business that are difference makers, who are work-at-home moms who are difference makers, who are ladies that are getting involved with the local school to volunteer and to serve that are difference makers, that come with the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. We, that's what we desired and wanted to see. Because here's what we know through the scriptures, that only what's done for Christ is really going to matter when everything's said and done. Our bank accounts, our homes, all of those things which are wonderful and nice blessings from the Lord really are going to burn, and they're really not going to matter when all is said and done. But what's done for Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God is going to stand the test of time. And we want you to know that, and we want you to live that every day, every week, every month for your life. So that at the end of time, you'll be able to look back with no regrets and say, what I've done, whether you've built bank accounts, whether you've built businesses, whether you've raised families, whatever your story has been, that it's really been all centered in Jesus Christ. Because that's the only thing that's really going to matter. When it comes to the name North Church, I had one of our 252 students who was just part of our interns here at North ask me this question this past week. Why North Church? Why that name? And really, that was birthed out of a passion for me when I was thinking about giving direction to people as a pastor and as a church. I thought of the North Star. And the North Star is, for centuries, not so much now, but for centuries and millennia, it has been the source of direction for people that are lost, that are crossing oceans, that are wandering in deserts, that are needing direction back home. And what we want North Church to be is a place of direction with a fixed point that's pointing people to Jesus Christ and Him alone. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man can come to the Father but by Him. He is the one unchanging. And that's what we want you to have. Your families, your children, your single, whatever your state of life is, that you can look to Jesus. And we want to point people to Jesus. So we have our vision statement. And our vision statement is simply this, and I'll give it to you and you'll see it on the screen. Our vision statement is developing fully devoted followers of Christ who, come on, say it with me, love God, love people, follow Jesus. So, that's who we are. So now, let's go to the book of Matthew, chapter number 26. And I want to read this passage, just two verses. It says, Then the people who arrested Jesus led him to the home of Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the religious law and elders had gathered. Meanwhile, Peter followed Jesus at a distance and came to the high priest's courtyard and went in and sat with the guards and waited to see how it would all end. Two key phrases. The first one I will get into in a little bit later. He followed him at a what? Distance. And the last one is he waited to see how it would all Difference makers don't sit around and wait to see how things end. Difference makers get right in the middle of what God is wanting to do. 
I wanted to start this message by simply sharing with you one of our stories, early stories of coming to Christ. We had a lady in our church who had been in prison for meth. She ran meth labs and bars, and she got convicted. She didn't know anything about God, but while she was in prison, God grabbed a hold of her heart while she was reading a Bible. She gave her heart to Jesus, was radically changed. Her name was Karen Kuhn. When Karen Kuhn came out, she got involved with North Church. I had preached in a small town that where she was there, and she said, I want to be a part of this. She comes up here, she gets involved, and she begins to win people to Jesus. I remember her early struggles, but one of the first persons she reached out to was a lady that she had worked in a bar that helped run one of her bars named Debbie Kraft. And she found out that she was in the hospital and she was dying. She got down to 70 pounds and didn't have a lot of hope. And she went in and began to pray that God would heal her. God healed her body, raised her up. She got plugged into North. She got radically changed. And then Debbie began to pray for her husband. Her husband was the truck driver and couldn't come to church, but every so often. But when he came to church, something clicked. And he began to listen to the CDs when he was on the road driving. And then one day he emailed me and said, Pastor, I want you to know my decision to follow Jesus Christ and make him Lord of my life. Go, go on. It was one of our, it was our very first salvation by internet. <laughs> come on. I want you to listen to James's story. I met my wife in 1988 at a bar in Shawnee. Since that time, we've spent very, very little time apart. I was working, and the job I was working at, I was, my days off were Tuesdays and Wednesdays, so I was never off on, uh, on Sundays to come to church. She asked me if I was ever off, would I come with her? And I said, yeah, sure, you know, knowing that I worked on weekends and I wasn't going to have to come to church. Uh, shortly after that, there was a guy that took a week's vacation, and they asked me to cover his position. His position was off on Saturdays and Sundays. And I came home and I told her, and she said, so you're going to church with me this Sunday, right? Well, what can I say? I said, yes. And I, that was the first time I came to North Church. Before Christ was in my life, I, it was a very unsettled time in my life. Uh, I thought it was good, but I didn't know any better. I drank, I smoked, I ran around, I went to bars, I did all that. And Christ showed me that there is a way you can have a good life without all that garbage. Uh, and he continues to show me that daily. When I made that decision, I had changed jobs. I was out of town a lot. And I was only been able to come to church every six weeks. Every six Sunday I was off. I wanted Pastor Rodney to know my decision that I was going to give my life to the Lord. He's joked about it a few times from the pulpit and it's okay, but I emailed Pastor Rodney and I told him of my decision. Sometimes he, he makes the comment that uh, he's, I was saved via the internet. That's not really the way it happened, but I did email him to let him know of my decision when I was able to come back the, my next Sunday off that that's what I was going to do. If there was anything I could say about North Church is they accept you for who you are. Uh, Christ did that for us. He accepted us just the way we are. He forgave us of our sins the way we were. Uh, and North Church is very much the same way. Come on. Great story. Great story.
So I asked four questions that first message in the school. Four questions. Difference makers consider four things. Number one is this. What distance is there between you and Jesus? What distance is there between you and Jesus? Peter followed at a what? Distance. We weren't given the distance. Was it 25 yards, 50 yards? I've always seen it as him being probably 100 feet away. Jesus is up there being interrogated. He is being hit. He is being slapped. He is being spit upon. He is being mocked and ridiculed. And Peter is standing beside a fire, warming his hands, watching at a distance. You see, you may be following Jesus Christ. You say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, Pastor. But how close are you? You may have started off great with Jesus. And there may have been a time back when when you were on fire for Jesus. But how about now? In Galatians chapter number 3, Paul talks about the Galatians. He said, what happened? What happened with you? You started so well. But what about now? You started in the spirit, but now are you made perfect by the flesh? And he's saying, they were talking about once when, but, but he's saying, no, 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 where are you now? So my question I have for you is, where are you? And what distance is there between you and Jesus? What have you allowed to step between you and Jesus? Is it work? Is it activities? Is it busyness? Is it an offense that happened in the church? What is it that keeps you from being where you really know you should be? There's a story in the book of Mark, chapter number 6. The story of Jesus. He's walking on the water. And the disciples are in their boat. And the picture that we get is the scripture says that they were struggling with the oars. Working. And see, the truth of the matter is when you're not close to Jesus, you're going to struggle a whole lot more. You're going to struggle in yourself. You're going to try to th make things work. But you're never going to get to where you need to be until you invite Jesus to be a part of the process. And the scripture says that Jesus would have passed them by, but they called out to Jesus. You see, I hope today that Jesus doesn't pass you by in this moment. That you will call out to Jesus. That you will say, Jesus, I need you. And I want you to stop and think about what is it that's creating distance between you and Jesus. Second question. Are you living in denial about Jesus? Are you living in denial about Jesus? So Peter's falling at a distance. And then someone asked him, hey, didn't I see you with Jesus? Oh, no. Second time he's asked, oh, yeah, I know. You're, you're a Galilean. I can tell by your speech. You must be a follower of Jesus. And he says, oh, absolutely. Not. I don't even know who this man is. See, G Peter's forgetting something. He's forgetting the conversation that he had with Jesus a little bit earlier. You remember that conversation where Jesus says to Peter, Peter, before this night is over and before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter says to him, oh, no, Lord, I will never. I will be the one that stands beside you. And no, everybody else betrays you, I will be there. Matter of fact, Jesus, I will be the one that dies for you while all these others are fleeing from you. See, there's a key word that he keeps harping on, I. You see, when you get so focused on yourself, you get your eyes off of Jesus. What Peter should have been saying to Jesus is, Jesus, I hope I don't. But Jesus... I need you. And Jesus, you're the reason. And Jesus, you're the hope. And Jesus, you see the difference? 
You see, when it comes to denying Jesus, what I found out in the scripture, it says that there will be those that deny him as even the son of God. And the Bible says be careful because you're going to stand before God on the day of judgment and that every tongue will confess and every knee will bow to him as king. But then there's also, Jesus said this, he said, there will be those of you that deny me before men. And he says, beware, because if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my heavenly Father in heaven. But the third denial that we oftentimes deal with is what I want to focus on just for a second here. In the book of Timothy, it says this, that in the last days, people will just turn from God. And he says this, there will be those that have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And this is key to me, because have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. I pulled it up in the New Living Translation, and here's what it says. Look at it on the screen. It says this in the New Living. They will act religious, but reject the power that could make them what? And oh, if that's not the church and people in the house of God, you know what? We act religious, but deny the Holy Spirit's power that wants to work in us to make us more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit that's saying, I can help you with that attitude. I can help you with those issues of self-control. I can help you. But we are so working ourselves. We're trying to make it happen in ourselves instead of being dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit in us. My hope for you is that you don't deny access to the power of the Holy Spirit in your life to make you more like Christ Jesus. So, what distance are you denying? Second, this. Third is this. Are you desperate for Jesus? Are you desperate for Jesus? Now, the story of Peter, when he denies Jesus for the third time, the rooster crows, the prophecy is fulfilled. Peter turns and looks at Jesus. He's warming the hands. He has just denied him for the third time. The rooster crows, and immediately he looks toward Jesus. And amazing enough, the story goes like this. The story in one of the Gospels says that as Jesus is being beat upon, spit upon, mocked and made fun of, and he has all of his accusers around him, he stops and turns and looks at who? Peter. He turns and looks at Peter. It speaks volumes to me that in the middle of all that Jesus is going through, he is concerned about one more. Peter. And the scripture says that Peter turns and looks at him. Could you imagine what's going on in Peter's mind at that time? Could you imagine? And the scripture says that he turned and he ran away weeping bitterly. You know what I believe happened during that time with Peter? I believe during that time Peter got desperate for Jesus. He realized that he couldn't do it himself. He couldn't make this happen. And he was desperate for Jesus. I want you to write this down. The secret, it won't be on the screen. The secret to a growing, passionate relationship with Jesus Christ is found in choosing to live desperate. Let me say it again. The secret to a growing, passionate relationship with Jesus Christ is found in choosing to live desperate. What does that mean? It means that you wake up every morning realizing that your source is Jesus. 
It means when you just get that pay raise and things are going well in your life, you realize that your source and your power, your ability and the gifts and the goodness, all is about Jesus. That your desperation in life is found in Jesus. That Jesus is your hope. That it's not by might nor by power, but it's by his spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And you can't do anything in yourself and you have to have only Jesus because without Jesus, you can't make it anywhere in life. And it's that desperation for Jesus that I believe that fueled Peter, that he was the first of the disciples to get to the tomb after the ladies were there. That Peter's the one on the day of Pentecost standing up and preaching and 3,000 people commit their lives to Jesus Christ and are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Desperation. Number four is this, the fourth thing. Fourth question I asked that day was, what is your decision concerning Jesus? What is your decision concerning Jesus? We all make a decision, and you're going to make a decision today. What is that decision? Now, I had a decision because when I found my notes, we also went back in the archives, and believe it or not, we found our very first audio recording that was of that very first service 15 years ago in the school gymnasium. Now, here's the thing. It's not very good. The quality of it's not very good. The preaching is horrible. I have a lot more of my southern accent too back then. And I thought about playing it today, but then I said, no. Because I knew that you wouldn't want to listen to it, and you wouldn't really care to hear it. Isn't that right? You want to hear it? Okay, well, that wasn't good enough, so I'm going to go on. There's just a few of you. Do you really want to see, hear it? No, you don't. No, you don't. Okay. This is a very humbling moment. This is that first message 15 years ago. Listen to it. And as all these believers, 120 of them, are gathered together and they're waiting, the Word of God says that Peter stood up in the midst of them. If there was one that could have felt guilt and felt bad about what he had just done, it was Peter. He could have sold up in the corner and said, I'm never going to do anything again. And he could have done this spiritual pious deal that says, I, I can't do anything. Great. But you know what he did? He took the opportunity to lead and stood up to make a difference. Now, the real test of this was not in the, amongst the believers. Because, you see, Peter was good among believers. The problem was, was in the world. That's where he had the problem. You see, there's a lot of people in the church today that are good at church on Sunday. But it's a different story on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Because it's easy to fit in here and just to kind of fit in and feel comfortable with what's happening. It's a different story during the week. You see, Peter was good at that. He was good at saying, you're the Christ when you got the disciples around. He was good at saying, hey, we can cast out these demons. He was good at doing all of these things. Matter of fact, when Jesus was around the disciples and he had his crew with him and the priest would begin to come with his soldiers, he'd be the first one to pull out the sword and to try to cut off the guy's head. And instead of getting the head, he gets the guy's ear. And Jesus picks up the ear and puts the ear back on and says, Peter, put your sword away. Those that live by the sword die by the sword. You see, we're good at throwing our spiritual swords around in the church. But the truth of the matter is, in the world, what are we going to do? And Peter was here in Acts chapter 1, verse 15, with the church again, standing up. He'd been there before. But he had never been where he'd been in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 14. After Pentecost had happened and after things began to move and the Spirit of God began to fall on the believers, then the word says that people came in and began to mock and make fun of the church. 
And as they mocked and made fun of the church, the word of God says that Peter stood up in the middle of them and he said, this is not what's going on what you think it is. That cross that you crucified, he has sent his spirit among believers. You see what the difference of Peter right now? Peter is now saying, you can bring the world out here and we can mock and make fun of, but now I'm going to stand up for Christ. He chose to make a difference. Are you going to choose to make a difference in your home? Are you going to choose to make a difference in your work? Are you going to choose to make a difference in schools? Are we going to choose to make a difference in our society? Or are we going to sit back and let the devil have his way? I choose to believe that there's people in this place this morning that are going to choose to be difference makers for the kingdom of God. But it doesn't happen when you're following a distance. It doesn't happen if you're denying him and going through the process of denial. It does not happen unless you get desperate to choose to make a difference. Fifteen years ago, at the end of my message, I asked for those who gathered to make four commitments as a church if you're going to be difference makers. Because difference makers do these four things. Write them down. One, win the lost. Win the lost. That was our early statement, win the lost. It's changed now where we say win the lost at all costs. C.T. Stubb said this, some, some people want to live within the hearing uh, or the, close to a chapel or a church to hear the chapel bells. But I desire to build a rescue shop within a yard of the gates of hell. As a church, we're about winning the lost. Because when we stop winning the lost, we start dying as a church. Secondly is this, difference makers are contributors, not consumers. Difference makers are contributors, not consumers. Come on, we live in a culture that it's about consuming, it's about getting, it's about what I, it's for me, it's for me, it's for me, instead of how can I serve, how can I give, how can I be a part, how can I, what am I to do, what am I to do? It's about grow the church, the local church, the body of Christ. What's my role, what's my responsibility? Thirdly, difference makers do life together. Not in isolation. You're sharing it with others. You're praying with other people. You're gathering with other, You're talking about God's word with other people. You're doing it with families together. Where two or three are gathered in my name. And then lastly, difference makers are united under one vision. Come on, where there is division... There's not going to be moving forward of God's kingdom and purposes. But where there is unity, God's blessing is. Where there is a vision, the people multiply and they grow. Where there is no vision, the people perish.